In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The text for this morning's sermon is the Gospel appointed for this first Sunday after the Feast of Holy Epiphany. The Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter, beginning at verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Thus far, the Gospel of our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord goes to Jerusalem. He is 12 years old and being parented by St. Mary and St. Joseph. But we read in verse 44 that they traveled with relatives and acquaintances. This was a normal thing. Any Jew who could possibly do it would want to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And to this very day, Jews will say to each other at Passover, no matter where they are in the world, next year in Jerusalem. And so it stood to reason that there would be something of a caravan traveling from Nazareth to Jerusalem and back, on the way back, St. Mary and St. Joseph simply assumed that Jesus would be somewhere among the caravan. He wasn't. When they make this discovery, they return to Jerusalem, anxious, of course, as any parent would be. On the third day, on the third 
day, he who was found to be missing from them is restored to them once again. Shades of things to come. In any case, Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening, asking questions, astonishing those who heard Him with His answers. This gives us one little insight into Jesus at the age of twelve. The other I would like to lay alongside it is the last verse of this text, verse 52, where we read that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We are in the season of Epiphany, the season in which the church makes particularly the person of Jesus Christ manifest to us, but an epiphany is a manifestation. Those two words point at each other. So who is Jesus? Who is the person of Jesus Christ? Well, we get two things. Clearly, He is exceptional. And clearly, He experiences an increase of wisdom. How are we to understand this? Well, first, understand that Jesus is true man. As true God, He knows all things. But He didn't always avail Himself of the access He had to all of His divine powers, including His knowledge of all things. I can try to explain it to you in this simple way, although, of course, any analogy to the very unique person of Christ is going to be limited. If I were to ask you, what's your mother's maiden name? What's your social security number? Don't answer. Or your favorite color or favorite dinner dish, or whatever, the answer would come to your mind. But until I asked the question, you weren't thinking about it, the information was dormant within you, but you weren't actively knowing it until I asked you. Now, when I ask you such questions, the way our minds work, you almost have no choice but to think of the answer. You, you may choose not to say it, but the thought nevertheless goes through your mind. But imagine you could control that. 
Imagine you could simply choose not to be actively knowing some of the knowledge that you could have access to if you wanted it, but you did not want that access. As I say, any attempt to explain the mystery of the union of the divine and human natures in Christ is going to be partial and incomplete. You can critique my illustration and it's probably fair. The reason is that this is a mystery we cannot fully fathom and we must make peace with that. But something like this is what took place in Jesus. Yes, He was true God and He truly knew all things in the sense that He had access to omniscience. What makes us nervous about this verse is that we believe that. And so how does this fit? But in His state of humiliation during the days of His life here on earth, He sometimes chose not to use it. It is as important to us to understand and believe the reality that Jesus was true man as it is to believe that He was true God. He chose not to be actively knowing everything that on account of His divine nature He can nevertheless be said to have known it was there. And in so doing, He placed Himself in the position of having to grow, having to learn, having to increase in wisdom and in stature. It is an extremely important point. Jesus had to grow up just like you did. He had to figure things out just like you do. He was free of the taint of original sin. So that obviously changes things some. But nevertheless, He had to learn just like we do. He faced temptation. Real temptation. Though He was sinless, the devil may well have tempted Him to get frustrated with the foolishness of other people, to be irritated by the way other people were driving their ox cart down the road. Whatever the case may have been, he was tempted. The Scriptures say he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. We cheapen that truth 
when we brush it off and say, well, yeah, he'll be true God, so it's easy for him. No. He faced those temptations and the struggles of growing up as true man, as truly one of us. He has been where you are. He has been tempted sorely, seriously, for real, in the same general ways that you are, whether we are speaking of very seemingly in our minds great big sins, or just the temptation not to handle the little frustrations of life very well, he has faced temptation. The real stuff. And he has done so perfectly. I have heard his struggles and temptations compared to that of a battle in which, of course, the outcome of the battle was predetermined because one side met the battle with overwhelming forces. Nevertheless, the battle had to be fought and it really was fought. Jesus fought the battle of temptation for us and won where we so often lose. And that's not just an idle point of Christology. He was perfect for you. So that years later, when He sacrificed Himself on the cross for you, that sacrifice would be a perfect, sinless sacrifice and His perfect record of sinlessness could be substituted for your record before the judgment seat of God and you would be declared not guilty for Jesus' sake. Yes, from the Scriptures as we read them, Jesus was clearly a gifted 12-year-old. Yes, He astonished those who heard Him. This was doubtless because, in some measure, He did choose to use His divine power. But beyond that, to put the question in a modern way, people might ask, I wonder what the IQ of his human nature was apart from the omniscience available to him as true God. It's an anachronistic question. People didn't have their precise little sliding scales of brain power back then. But the answer is God gave him whatever he needed to fulfill his vocation to fulfill his calling as prophet, priest, and king. That vocation was going to involve some run-ins with some intelligent enemies of the truth, 
So he was, even according to his human nature, doubtless quite intelligent. But the point is the same for all of us. God gives us the gifts that we need to fulfill the vocations, to fulfill the callings that He has placed on our shoulders. To some, He gives great reasoning skills. To others, charm. To others, physical strength. To some, it seems like He gives very little. I've seen some, and so have you, the mentally and physically handicapped that some who are godless might suggest we might just as well rid ourselves of. As Christians... We see it differently. God has given them exactly the gifts He wants them to have so that we may have an opportunity to use and grow our gifts of mercy and compassion. You each Have what you need to fulfill your callings in life. You have it, and yet you do it sinfully and imperfectly, and perhaps even jealously of those whom the Lord has gifted differently jealous of those whose gifts you are tempted to covet. Jesus had what He needed to fulfill His calling in life, but He did it perfectly. If we take Isaiah's prophecy that there was nothing in His countenance that we should desire Him, to mean that Jesus was not necessarily the most impressive looking man who ever walked the earth? Well, Jesus fulfilled His calling without being jealous of those who were more handsome than Himself. In fact, He gave Himself over to suffering and death to save those that he or we might be tempted to be jealous of? Dear ones in Christ, when jealousy arises in your hearts, do repent. Receive the salvation that your selfless Savior lived and died to give you. And give thanks afresh that God has given you the gifts He has given you. Surely anything is more than we can stand before God and claim to have deserved.
Well, there's that interchange between Jesus and His mother. Her saying, your father and I. And Jesus responding, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Yet we read also that He went down to Nazareth with them and was subject to them. In short, Jesus' true Father is God the Father in heaven. And yet, for us, for our salvation, He was also perfectly subject to His mother and His adoptive father. Now, by nature, we have earthly fathers. But because of Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death, He has shared His sonship with us. We have therefore been adopted by His Father. And we rejoice also to be subject to God our Father. All this we see at the conclusion of Jesus going missing following the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and being found again on the third day. He Himself, as we know, was the true Passover Lamb, the fulfillment of all Passover lambs that had gone before. And when He was sacrificed, He went missing from the eyes of this world until He was restored to us again on the third day. It is in His restoration, His resurrection, that we finally see the truth of it all. We see that His sacrifice was accepted by God, His and our Father. And therefore, we see that all we have heard and learned of Him from the prophets and from His own teaching, it's all true. He is true God. He is true man. And truly, His life was sinless and perfect for His sacrifice on our behalf could only have been acceptable to God. It could only have atoned for the sin of the world if it was indeed the sacrifice of a perfect, infinite man, the God-man, one person, in whom the divine and human natures were truly united. Christ has fulfilled His vocation in this world of saving you. And He has done so by making perfect use of the perfectly sufficient gifts that His Father gave Him for the performance of His blessed vocation. 
As such, He forgives you for your imperfect use of God's gifts and invites you and inspires you to lay hold of those gifts yet again and carry on with using them to do what God has entrusted you with doing. He is not unable to sympathize with you, for He has been tempted in every way, just as you are. So then, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that your adoptive Heavenly Father truly does forgive all your sins on account of the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.